SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. We here at SciShow Tangents Laboratories are hard at work on a special project. We can tell you more about that really soon, but we needed a little more time to make it perfect. So this week, please enjoy this very special classic episode about pee. Now I gotta get back to work. See you soon. to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I am your host, Hank Green, and I'm joined as always by resident science expert, Sari Riley. This is, this is the uh, sixth episode in which I've called you our resident science expert. Are you comfortable with this title yet? I feel like it's starting to wash over me a little bit and just nodding as you, as mm-hmm. you speak through the intro, but then the imposter syndrome is strong where I am not <laughs> an expert in science. I am just good at Googling things sometimes, and I fact check you both when I can, but not always. Gotta love being good at Googling things. We are also joined by our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. Who was always here to be like, that didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, please explain. We're recording this episode uh, as a video that we're putting up on on our YouTube channel, SciShow P, which hasn't had an episode of content posted to it in two years. So yeah. it, is a, it is an Easter egg 
But if you want to see us in real life where you can see Sam's cute office and Sari's weird towel, uh, <laughs> then you can do that. <laughs> Sam, I know that you were raised in Butte, Montana. And uh-huh. and Sari, I know that you've been a nerd for your whole life. So I, I kind of want to hear <laughs> the wildest party you have ever been to. Oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Do not tell me if you're going to be in trouble with the law. This is going to sound absurd, but in high school, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I would very frequently have parties that were pretty much like the kind of movie high school parties that you would see. Yeah. Red Solo Cups and Allison Hannigan and all that. Uh Uh-huh. My parents were divorced and one of them was always out of town. So every weekend, Mm. one of my houses would be free to just... (laughs) get so so drunk i mean if this is tying into peeing there was pee everywhere i'm I'm sure (laughs) yeah i I feel like the wildest party i've ever been to has either been was definitely as as an adult and it was either vidcon or our staff retreat like that's Mm. i'm just a boring man yeah i feel like i'm also fairly boring i i was often the friend who if I would get really drunk, then I would put myself to bed or would like take care of my other friends. Like I had a, a store of Otter Pops for when mm-hmm. no one wanted water. So I'd be like, here, suck on this sugar wow. stick and yeah. then get hydrated. But in college, my freshman year, I was went to when I first real college party at mm-hmm. a frat house in Boston and I played beer pong for the first time and was like good at it. And so I played a lot. Uh, And I remember very distinctly walking back to my dorm in the winter and stopping to pee several times, just like in random (laughs) behind a bush patches of snow where I was like, I don't want to pee my pants, but everyone else is walking ahead. I'd be like, one second. And I just like run behind a bush, pee, and then run up, catch up with my friends and then keep trotting through the snow. How long did it take you to get home? Yeah, what what kind of walk was this? It's probably like a 30 minute walk. What the heck's going on then? I don't understand. Once you break the seal, That's once, the I, thing. once That's, I start yeah. peeing after drinking, it's my bladder's got, just like, wee woo, wee woo, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that was Sari Riley with the science poem, all done. Uh, she just <laughs> performed it. <laughs> so every week here on Sci-Show Tangents, we get together to try to one-up a maze and delight each other with science facts. We're trying to stay on topic, but we're not always great at that, which is why we call it Tangents. We're playing for glory, but we're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of every episode, one of you will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from me. Here's one thing, you know, it's no mystery. Everybody pees. Everybody pees. On into the future and in deep history. Everybody pees. Everybody pees. When you have a cup of coffee, do you know where it goes? Everybody pees. Everybody pees. It's the reason that you never eat the yellow snows. Everybody pees. Everybody pees. When you have a Coca-Cola and you feel something stirring, everybody pees. Everybody pees. It's probably your body made a whole lot of urine. Everybody pees. Everybody pees. From your blood to your kidneys to your bladder to your urethra, everybody pees into the sewers down beneath you. What? The structure of that one was puzzling. Uh, yeah, it kind, of, it kind of overstayed its welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it felt like. So our topic for the day is pee, uh, urine. Um, I don't know what else we call it. And it's the it's the water part of our excretions. And 
I guess I should stop talking and let Sari define what pee is. <laughs> I mean, you were doing great. It is <laughs> not always liquid, but in mammals, Wait. Uh, like humans, urine is the liquid form. In birds and reptiles, it's solid or semi-solid because it gets mixed up with other stuff. And I think also just like the the urine-containing compound is a little bit chunkier. From what I can tell, pee or urine is any excrement that is formed by the biological system that includes the organs that you listed. So like kidneys, urinary bladder, Mm -hmm. ureters, urethra. Instead of like defining it by its components or by its state of matter, we define Mm -hmm. it by it's the stuff produced by the by the kidney and the bladder. Yeah, it's the stuff that goes through these particular tubes. But birds don't have all the same, but I guess they do have bladders. Yeah, so they don't have all the same piping, but they're like the cloaca collects the waste, but there are three main sections of it. There's the coprodium, mm. the urodium, and the proctodium. Which what's the proctodium for? So the urodium collects urine from the mm-hmm. ureters or bladder. The coprodium collects fecal matter from the colon, and then they both empty into the proctodium oh, okay. before being excreted outside uh, the body. Mix them up. So if you hated someone. Would you call them a procto what that one, or would you call them the copra one? Like which one is worse, the poop bucket or the poop and pee bucket? I think the one where they both get combined. Yeah, that seems more disrespectful to me. <laughs> okay, because mm-hmm. then you're all the waste, all mm-hmm. the garbage possible. And that one, that one is the proctodium. Yes, you are all the garbage possible. I love it. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm putting that one in my back pocket for when I insult people, which happens never. Only us on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, God. That's great. That that makes perfect sense to me. And I'm sure never has any kind of fuzziness to it at all. Just like its etymology has no no kind of fuzziness to it. <laughs> Parentheses, it does. But, but P, the word, came out of an abbreviation because, oh. you know, us humans, we don't want to say long words when we could say shorter ones. And so pee did come about fairly recently, meaning to urinate is from around 1879. Wow. And the noun meaning act of urination was first recorded around 1902. Wow. So like very, very recently, within the last couple of centuries. And it is a euphemistic abbreviation of piss. So Uh. it is, we stopped wanting to say piss and we thought, you know, it'd be what, what simpler. We just say pee. So like the letter P for piss, mm-hmm. and then somebody tacked an E E onto the end of it. Yeah, you had to you had to spell it somehow. Why would you want to stop saying piss? That's not the fun <laughs> word to say. That's what I was like. I I like assumed that piss would be the slang that came later, but yeah. no, humans came up with piss long time ago. It was um, oh, it was from vulgar Latin. So mm. the the official Latin verb meaning to urinate was mingere. Or mean, I don't know if there was a soft G, but minger, mm-hmm. uh, which gives us medical words like micturition. Don't know how that related to urinate because that came from the same stem as as water. So mm-hmm. separate cha- tree channel altogether. But then people were like, that's not the sound it makes when you pee. That's like piss. <laughs> and so then <laughs> oh, okay. there's the vulgar verb pissier. And then that became piss, which was used like commonly through the 13th, 14th century through a I couple would, centuries ago. I would have not have gotten there, but it's onomatopoetic. It's just, yeah. that's what it sounds like to piss. Piss. 
They're, they're not wrong. Okay, great. I mean, that was the the one I've liked the most so far of all of the etymologies that we've done. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'll try to get some more vulgar words in yeah. there. Yeah, we'll we, yeah, we definitely have themes. to start covering some more nasty stuff. That's Keep exactly the problem. Yeah. Gotta keep it spicy here on SciShow Tangents. So now that we're done uh, shooting the piss, I guess we will move on to the quiz portion of our show. It's I've got a I've got a game for you. It's called Recipe. Uh huh. Fun. So urine is a waste product. It's made of nitrogenous wastes and other chemicals that our body doesn't need. But just because our body doesn't want that stuff doesn't mean that no one wants it. Human creativity knows no bounds. And uh, that involves exercising some chemical creativity with urine. The following are recipes that involve your pee, and you will have to guess what you might be making with that pee. There are three of these, so you can get three points or you can get no points. Let's see how you do. They're multiple choice, so wait for it. Question number one. So imagine you've been exhibiting your wares at the market for some time, but the the flowers, the bark, and the berries that you've been using to make your goods, they're not they're not cutting it anymore. Never fear. This industry favorite recipe is here. Collect some good old-fashioned urine in a chamber pot, mix it with some alum, and then combine with your favorite vibrant natural ingredients to bring out their natural beauty. Are you making A, watercolors, B, fabric dye, C, lipstick, or D, potpourri? All I know about alum is that in Looney Tunes, when they put alum in their mouth, their mouth gets really tiny. (laughs) (laughs) I think it is fabric dye. I was thinking fabric dye also, because if they have it around in Looney Tunes time, that seems like the most logical thing to be using it for. (laughs) You are both correct. One point to each of you. Urine is a good source of ammonia, and ammonia is good at getting the chromophores in a dye to bind to a piece of cloth. That is a property that is so useful that there's a bunch of different compounds like this, and there's a name for it. They're called mordants. And in the 16th century, so significantly before Looney Tunes time, specific (laughs) chamber pots and urinals were actually set aside to collect urine. So there's like a special pot for just pee. And then uh, barrels of that stuff were sent to Yorkshire to age and mix with alum. Minus the alum and mordant recipes, urine has also been used to directly make dyes. Woad is an indigo-like color. It can be made from fermenting the leaves of the woad plant in urine. Is dye making still a urine-heavy situation? I do not believe so. I think that we have uh, eliminated urine from the dye making process at this point. Question number two. Now, it may seem strange to use urine to make this powder, but sometimes you make do with what you have. Just take all your starting materials, sprinkle with a bit of ash, and then add just enough urine to keep it moist. Stir it weekly until you start to see your desired whitish powder forming on the top. Are you making A, topsoil, B, ceramic coating, C, toothpaste powder, or D, gunpowder. Oh, no. This one I don't have such a strong feeling about. Those are all powdery. Well, yeah, I wouldn't have said powder if I wasn't going to give you four powders. Yeah, Yeah. well, could have caught you on on a slip up there. I've made dumb mistakes in my (laughs) my answer choices. I've heard of people using urine for toothpaste purposes, like ancient Rome or something like that. Right. So that seems, by deduction, I'll just go with that one because I have no idea. Sam's in for toothpaste powder. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll go for gunpowder just to diversify because those were the two I was caught between two and I have no idea. 
The answer is gunpowder. Uh. Though, Sam, you were right that urine has been used as a mouthwash. But they didn't, like, uh, do anything to it before they used it? I, I think that they may have let it, like, sit around for a little while to increase oh, the ammonia content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, so one of the main ingredients of gunpowder is potassium nitrate or saltpeter, which you can find in natural mm-hmm. deposits. You can mine it or you can make it. Before we learned how to synthesize saltpeter in large quantities, sometimes we mixed pea with manure, ash, and leaves for months, and the ammonia in the pea would react with oxygen to create the nitrates that then bonded to the potassium in the ash, creating potassium nitrate. Useful stuff, that pea and poop. Yeah, that one had pea and poop in it. Final question. Humans don't produce the only valuable urine out there, which is probably good for you in this story because you work in an industry known for its discerning customers and selective ingredients. What better helper than the rock hyrax, which looks like a medium-sized rodent but is actually closely related to the elephant? But you don't need to find the animal itself. You just need to find the ancient petrified mixture of their urine and feces called hyracium. Inside, you will find an oily mixture that will help balance out your final product. Are you making perfume, wine, face cream, or cheese? I wouldn't think you could eat it. The world is a many and varied place. I guess so. Mm -hmm. Perfume seems like the obvious choice to me. Yeah. Because they make perfume out of all kinds of wild stuff like that comes out of animals' butts and stuff. <laughs> You're right. Like weird sacks and glands. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go with my gut and say perfume. Okay, Sam saying perfume. I'm also going to go with perfume because, Sam, your your logic convinced me. That's good logic. My gut? <laughs> Is that yeah. what the logic was? Okay. And you are both correct. Hyracium is used to add a dirty note to perfumes, which makes sense because it is the combined urine and feces of a rock hyrax. (laughs) So the situation here is that colonies of rock hyrax tend to poop and pee in the same spot over centuries. And the waste products can petrify into a brittle rock-like thing. And the oil inside has been described as having an intense, complex, fermented scent. I bet it does. (laughs) Oh, man. And that, Sari, means that you got all three correct, and Sam, you got two correct, so Mm. Sari is currently in the lead. But it's okay, Sam. There's a chance for you to come back after we go on our short break when it's time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. 
Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks as I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. Cats of all sizes are well known for using their urine to mark territory. When a male cheetah marks, they will turn their back to the object they want to mark and either point their penis horizontally backward or upward by how many degrees? What? Where's zero degrees? <laughs> <laughs> Where is zero degrees? Where is, I think zero degrees is is horizontal. And they can point it behind them. Yeah. <laughs> we need a chart. Just picture if it's shooting straight back, that's zero degrees. If it's shooting straight up, mm. that would be 90 degrees. It's okay. somewhere in between those two things because you can't really go more than 90 degrees without piss- pissing on itself. I'm going to just go for a nice, even 45 degrees. Every time it marks, it's just like perfect slope, right triangle, going to shoot P in, a, in an arc. Man, I think they can go. I think they can hit 60 if you ask me. They can get way up there. Sam, it's 60. What the heck? Whoa, Sam. <laughs> Sam, cheetah pee expert. Now everybody opens some tabs and look at those cheetah peeing. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Okay. I don't know how you make a penis do that, but you do if you're a cheetah. All right. Uh, so cool. that means, that Sam, you get to decide who goes first. I think Sarah should go first, personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. Pee expert Sam Schultz. 
So, because bringing anything up into space is expensive, it's important to find ways to reuse or repurpose waste products. And turns out urine has a lot of potential, as we learned from recipe. And one of the most (laughs) obvious uses in space is finding a way to recycle and purify the water in pee or fertilizing plants because of the nitrogen content in addition to water. But those are boring. Everyone knows about that. (laughs) So I came across a paper that argues we could be using pee to construct moon concrete. Concrete is a really common material on Earth. It's made of a bunch of gravel or rocks or stuff held together by a paste of cement, which is various blends of dust like limestone, chalk, and other things, and Mm -hmm. water. So in space, scientists think that moon dust could work as cement and we could get water from ice or possibly pee, but that's not the most important part because a really tricky balance in concrete manufacturing is the ratio of cement to water. Because more water means less strong concrete, but less water means the concrete is hard to mix and pour because it's not pasty. So instead of just adding a ton of water, we can add a tiny bit, like one to 3% per unit weight of chemicals called plasticizers, which to my understanding are basically compounds that can break certain chemical bonds and or like push cement particles away from each other using repellent charges uh, to make the paste more goopy and easily moldable without Hmm. sacrificing the extra strength in the final concrete that's been cured and dried. So on Earth, we have synthetic plasticizers that are like waste products from the paper industry or specially manufactured, and hauling them up to make moon concrete would be added weight. So that brings me back to what scientists from Norway, Spain, the Netherlands, and Italy have been working on with a European space agency in a paper published in 2020, using urea from pea as a plasticizer in moon concrete. The urea <laughs> did better than one common earth plasticizer and no plasticizer trials, and it did the same as another common earth plasticizer in bearing heavy weights, keeping its shape, and surviving through simulated freezing and thawing cycles, which would happen on the moon. So they say it, quote, exhibits promising properties as a super plasticizer for 3D printing of lunar geopolymers. But also, as scientists do, they don't want to promise anything before doing more research. And it's going to be more complicated than just peeing into the concrete mixture because ratios are so important. Mm -hmm. And the plasticizer they tested is specifically just like a little bit of urea, not all the things that come in pee. But who knows? Maybe pea concrete will be a thing on Earth someday as a new eco-friendly construction option and on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the it, it for some reason, it's much more impressive if we do it on the moon. But also, like, hey, it's just hard to make anything on the moon to get stuff there. So anytime you get to use something that you already have is great news. I never thought about how hard getting water to the moon would be. Yeah, I mean, luckily there is some water on the moon, and we we think maybe more than we, certainly more than we thought. We will probably also not get it to the moon from the Earth, because there's water in space. Uh And it's much easier to move stuff around in space than it is to move stuff off of the Earth, because it's heavy here. Cool. Well, we're going to have to build some moon buildings, so we might as well be figuring out how to do it right now. Sam, what do you have for me? Animals pee a lot, and they pee all over everything especially on the ground, which is basically the one place that animals of all shapes and sizes can reach. And you might think when you pee on the ground, like Sari did in in, uh, Boston, that (laughs) the ground soaks it up and that's it, end of story. And usually you're right, but there are some creatures out there who can make use of this pee-soaked ground and what they do with it could give us a new weapon in the fight against climate change. In 2019, Sophie Petit, 
a scientist based on Kangaroo Island, which is an island off the coast of southern Australia, has lots of kangaroos on it, I'm pretty sure, made a strange (laughs) observation completely by accident. Kangaroo Island is really sandy, I think. And when you add pee to sand, sand does the same thing that it does whenever you add any other kind of water to sand. It gets all clumpy. So one night, Petit observed some nocturnally scavenging sugar ants swarming a patch of urine-soaked clumpy sand. Hmm, that's interesting, she must have thought to herself, because she continued observing over the course of the next few weeks and found that the ants would return like in greater and greater numbers every night and basically mine the pea sand, like they were little pea miners, even after it all dried up. So Petit and a team then ran tests to see what the ants liked so much about the pea. They soaked sand with human urine and kangaroo urine and sugar water and concentrated urea. And there's other documentation of ants being attracted to urine, especially urine that has extra sugar in it because of complications like diabetes. Hmm. But what this team found was that the ants consistently went for the sand soaked in whatever compound had the most urea in it. And why would the ants be so into urea? Well, many ant species, including these specific kind of sugar ants, have a bacteria in their digestive system that allows them to process urea into nitrogen, which is a vital part of lots of functions of life, like making proteins and probably Mm -hmm. lots of other ones. But Mm -hmm. we knew about the ants' ability to process urea, (laughs) but this is the first time that we've observed them excavating dry urine for its urea content, which seems weird. They must just always be doing it. We never thought to look at PP ground. So being able to process urea means that the ants can survive in harsh places like deserts and sand dunes that don't have as many resources because as long as there's kangaroos and other weird Australian animals to pee, then the ants have an easy source of nitrogen and they can live their little lives. But how can this help against global warming? Another compound (laughs) present in urine is ammonia, which breaks down into nitrous oxide. And nitrous oxide has 300 times the heat trapping potential Mm. of CO2 and it depletes the ozone layer, but it isn't banned uh, or like it doesn't have any official sanctions on it or anything like other ozone destroying chemicals do. And emissions of it have gone up substantially because of increasing peeing, not very regulated (laughs) use of fertilizer and people just peeing everywhere in my backyard (laughs) and stuff. Uh, So researchers speculate that sugar ants could be used to incidentally gather the ammonia while they gather urea before it breaks down into nitrous oxide. You just like throw it on a field, I guess, and the ants would just eat all the the urea up (laughs) and not let it escape into the atmosphere. So thank you, sugar ants. And in return for this, we promise to keep calling you sugar ants, even though you are more like pee pee ants. (laughs) (laughs) So here, here are my choices. I've got space buildings made of pee. That's pretty Boring. cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> or I got, or I got ants that like to pee, to eat pee. Yeah, pee pee ants. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't know if there's like a big come from behind moment here for you this episode, Sam. What? Why? Sam and the sugar ants are crying. <laughs> but with hers. You're you're going to a distant world and building on that. And with mine, you're saving the one we already have. Man and beast <laughs> to join together to save the planet. Come on. I was I was wanting you to do a little, to fight for yourself a little bit. So thank you for doing that. Regardless, okay. Sarah oh. is the winner of this episode of SciShow Tangents. Why? <laughs> you just wanted to see me wriggle around like a worm more? Yeah, you proctodium. Jeez, Sarah, Sarah just called you a proctodium. I know, yeah. I know. You're both getting meaner and meaner to me every episode. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Sam, you're a sweet sugar ant, but really that means you eat pee-pee. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is the meanest I've ever seen Sari, for uh-huh. sure. This is great. Well, now it is time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at rmlin24, who asks, is pee consistently yellow across the animal kingdom, or is that just a mammal thing? I know that it's definitely not consistent across all animals, but I do not know if it's consistent across mammals. There must be some some mammal that has got weird colored pee. But birds basically have white pee, technically, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's urine or something. I guess it's, it's piss. It's bird piss. <laughs> so the reason why pee is yellow is because of a compound called urochrome or urobilin, which is what hemoglobin gets broken down into and like becomes the waste product. And that's like yellow pee. So if you have hemoglobin in your blood, which I think most animals do with with some very few exceptions, then pee is going to be at its standard color yellow. And I tried my best to look for non-yellow peas. I recruited Deboki and we both used our googling powers. Like scientists don't document pea colors. I I would imagine that somewhere there should be a spreadsheet that's just like, what color is this animal's pee? No (laughs) one has made that. And it could be you. Yeah. (laughs) Please do, because the descriptions across the internet are wildly Mm. inconsistent. So don't just mess around. This is serious business. I couldn't find anything about mammals. Deboki found something about tortoise pee. Mm. Urine was mostly clear or colorless to pale yellow. So like Mm. you got the clear side of the spectrum with small amounts of white urates, caterpillars to pivot in a different direction, poop little black bags, which I assume also includes their urine inside. I don't know. Spiders. There was a website that described the little uric acid spots as either white or colored, which is not helpful. Like, tell me about (laughs) spiders. The the two (laughs) options. Yeah. (laughs) Like, human urine can vary in colors depending on, like, other byproducts that are in it. SciShow has a great video about it. And I really, really tried to look into an organism like a horseshoe crab, which has blue blood and hemocyanin in it. Mm-hmm. And I learned that I don't I don't know about horseshoe crabs, but a lot of crustaceans have their pea glands by their antennae. So they yeah. like spit pee out their front. Yeah. But I guess because that pee goes straight into the water, no one's ever like collected a vial of it and been like, oh, this is weird green pee. Yeah. But I imagine that the byproduct of hemocyanin breakdown is different than hemoglobin. Well, we just need to grab a lobster and we need to strap some b- some bags to its head. Put yeah. a diaper on his face. But, <laughs> yeah, a little piss diaper on his little piss face. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I, it looks like snowshoe hares have orangey red pee because of the vegetation that they eat, maybe. Oh, yeah. Mm. These guys are all on the warm end of the color spectrum. I want some blue pee. Well, you might have to go to a different planet. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. That's at SciShowTangents. Thank you to at CatherineShoe47, at Little Chris, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. You can listen a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show, and it's probably good for some algorithm somewhere. Second, you can tweet us your favorite moment from the episode, at SciShowTangents again. Third, you can go to Patreon.com slash SciShowTangents and become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episode. It's very fun. And we are aiming 
to get up to 500 patrons. That's where our yes. first goal is. So please join us on the path to 500 patrons so we can keep making this show and be making it better and have cool special guests. And we're really excited to expand the, the kinds of stuff that we do. But we do need your support. Finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Trakavardi. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The Cetacosaurus was a small dinosaur that lived about 100 million years ago, but just recently, scientists were able to use fossils and comparison with existing species to create a 3D model of its cloaca <laughs> that not just butthole used for reproduction and urination in addition to defecation. That's a, that's an amazing headline to be able to write. Like, we have the first detailed image of a dinosaur butt. Do you think one of the scientists stuck his finger in the in the 3D model of the hole? Oh, yeah. For sure. Wait a second. Can I put my finger in a dinosaur butt? <laughs> How much? I think you could probably just show up and be like, hi, I'm Hank Green, premier TikToker and science communicator. May I stick my finger in the butthole? <laughs> <laughs> I need you to 3D print every butthole. Because <laughs> putting my finger just in a dinosaur butt, that's not going to tell me anything. Yeah, I need something to compare it to. It's like the, the there's a pain index, that guy's pain index. <laughs> yeah. You have the Hank Green index yeah. for how far Hank Green's finger can go in. <laughs>